Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Alexis, en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada. Gol de Alexis, 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra brought to you today by Audible.com for a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. With me as always, James from Gunnerblog. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. How is the interlull treating you? It's all right. I'm, I'm finding it hard, actually. I, I'm a bit bored. Um, the quality of the international football that I've watched, at any rate, hasn't been great. But then, as an Englishman, that is a kind of perennial problem. Yeah. Um, did you watch the Ireland game? I did watch bits of it, yeah. Sort of the last part. Um we we were wondering how on earth to get Sky Sports 5 because we don't have that. And then we realized it was on RTE. Um, mm-hmm. So watch the last part. And it was pretty terrible, apart from Aguidi's goal, which was very, very good. But, you know, it's not the same at all. No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the same. No. Um, and the worry, the worry, the constant worry of people being injured, you know. Yeah. Well, I think so far we've managed to, to avoid any injury in this in this interval, obviously there's a, a little worry about some players that have gone away and haven't played, and they might be injured. But we'll touch on that in a few minutes' time. Um, I, I want to start with the the burning issue of the of the week, mm-hmm. um, and that's Danny Welbeck and the the stories that are uh, going around. It's kind of a conspiracy uh, theory type thing that Arsene Wenger might not have signed him, and it was Ivan Gazidis who did it when when Arsene's back was turned. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, just let me ask you: Do you think it's strange that we haven't heard anything from the manager about the signing of Danny Welbeck yet? I, I don't think it's particularly unusual. No, I mean. Obviously, normally when a signing's unveiled, we get that kind of customary wheeled out quote about how excited we are to welcome him to the club. Mm. You know, something like that. Arsene Menger says he's a player we've trapped for a long time. Um, that's usually in there along with the, the long-term contract and the undisclosed fee. But I think the way this deal went down so late in, in the day, it went right to the wire, albeit a flexible wire. <laughs> um, I just can't imagine that was a pressing priority for anyone really to, to get those couple of sentences off mm. the manager and also since then he's we know he's been out and about we know he's been at this, this conference in Geneva and um, he hasn't done his dot com you know weekly interview that he normally does he's, he's leaving that he's left that for a week so I just I don't know I, personally I, I don't see much in it what about yourself no I mean I, it might be a little bit odd that that nothing has been said what I, what's maybe odd is that it didn't happen in the announcement about his signing, because normally it's like, Arsenal have signed so-and-so, Arsene Wenger says, we're delighted to sign so-and-so, he brings this and that to the team, Mm -hmm. and the player says, I'm delighted to be joining Arsenal, Um, uh, I'll bring this and that to the team, blah, blah, blah. But I think, given the circumstances of the signing and when it happened, 
Uh, with Welbeck on England duty at Arsenal, uh, the training ground, Arsene Wenger in Rome, and having to get an extension from the Premier League in order to get the signing through. Um, I, you know, I can understand why it didn't happen. Um, that nothing has been said in the in the next seven days doesn't really surprise me either. There's been pretty much radio silence all the way through. Uh, I think when he does speak to uh, either the official website or at his press conference, I'm sure he'll have plenty to say about about Danny Welbeck. Um, so there, but look, I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit odd, but definitely nothing sinister from my I point think, of view. Yeah, I think it is a little bit unusual, but the, it seems to me that the club's communications are kind of slightly on, on downtime during the international break. You know, the manager's not around, the, the content we're putting out is not quite as regular so I don't find it particularly surprising maybe that's what the extension was for maybe they were desperately trying to get a quote from Arsene Mm -hmm. uh, before they announced (laughs) the deal and he's in some pizza restaurant in Rome well as usual quaffing back uh, some nice wine Mm. but um, look in terms then of the transfer itself um, one of the criticisms that's levelled at Arsene Wenger is that he has far too much control over every aspect of the club right Mm-hmm. So he is um, dictatorial, some might say. Now, it seems rather odd to me that if this is a widely held belief about Arsene Wenger, that all of a sudden we're about to, we're supposed to believe that when he's gone, they've just gone, let's go and sign a striker. Just, you know, not here. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make a great deal of sense. And you actually have information about how the deal went down. Yeah, no, uh, we we do. And, and, I mean, as you say, even without that, it wouldn't make any sense at all. You know, we know Wenger was interviewed in Rome in the evening saying he was hoping to complete, you know, a deal for a player, unless I suppose the conspiracy theorists might say that was a different player and that deal was scuppered by even Gazidis' swoop for Danny Welbeck. He um, used up all the money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Arsene shaking his fist. Ah, oh, damn you, even. But um, no, basically the way this deal went down... Uh, Danny Welbeck is represented by his his brother. He acts as his agent, Chris Welbeck. Um, And I think Arsenal, in order to do this deal and not just be dealing directly with the Welbeck family, brought another uh, agency on board in order to, you know, help manage the negotiations. Um, And actually, I know for a fact that Arsene Wenger himself made a call at about half past seven in the morning to that agency to express his uh, sort of urgent desire to push this deal through on deadline day. So he was directly involved in the negotiations and actually um, representatives of the agency uh, were with him in that infamous uh, airport picture, uh, which, <laughs> which came out around midday. So that could be relevant or not. But effectively, his hand is was firmly involved in this transfer uh there's no way that he would ever have let it happen without his consent and it happened albeit late in the day at his behest there you go so that should clear that up should do i mean you know you can't stop the conspiracy theorists can you it's always nice to have something to to pontificate about Mm, but who was um do you know um behind the grassy knoll on deadline day. Any idea? <laughs> Dick Law. <laughs> Dick Law behind the grassy knoll. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. You don't give it the time of day, do you, That this this story? No, I just can't believe that, you know, 
Um, no, because we know that Arsene Wenger decides who uh, who comes in and who goes out and what happens on a, on a football level. That now he might be a little bit more willing to uh, to delegate certain aspects of it in terms of the negotiations and, and the, the actual procedure of making a transfer to uh, Ivan Gazidis and Dick Law and whoever else is involved. That's fine. But nobody is going to say to Arsene Wenger, you're, you're signing Danny Welbeck. You have to sign Danny Welbeck or we're signing Danny Welbeck. Um, it, it just doesn't work like that. Nobody who's watched Arsene Wenger at work or who knows anything about the way that he works can surely uh, believe that that would be the case. So, Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, there is something interesting. Um, there is something interesting about how late the deal happened. You know, we, mm. we, we know now that Wenger made that call on, on the final day itself. And I think it's, you know, it's possible to argue that Welbeck perhaps wasn't his first choice. Um, but he, he's absolutely all over this deal. And, and there's no way, as you say, it would have taken place without his consent. Yeah. Um, it would make for an interesting return to the training ground next week, though. <laughs> yeah. Here's your team and uh, that guy over there. Yeah. <laughs> Go say hello. No, I'm yeah. shy. I'm shy. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. Um, that was, yeah, that's that then in terms of Danny Welbeck. And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot to be written about him, hopefully, in the uh, in the weeks and months to come. Mm, as he starts. Uh, he'll be starting for England this evening, it looks like. Yeah. Um, against Switzerland. So I look forward to his inevitable injury. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done, we've done all right so far, I think. Um, Mesut Ozil didn't play for Germany. He went away after injuring his ankle against Leicester. Mm-hmm. And I think the initial diagnosis from the German camp was that, right, we're not going to play him in the friendly, but we will give him a, a game on, on Sunday. Should we be worried by the fact that he didn't make the squad for Scotland? I mean, it can't be for good reason. No, I mean, I, yeah, I think, of course, we should be concerned. Uh, I think he has to be a doubt for the Manchester City game now. Um, it did look like quite a bad one, didn't it? He did seem to be in some discomfort against Leicester. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I said in the blog, I think had the circumstances been different, if we'd had a substitute to make, it would have been made. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't chasing the game or if we were 2-1 up, um, I think we probably would have taken him off as well. As it was, we sort of asked him to go back out and run off an ankle sprain, is what it looked like anyway. It looked like he went over on his ankle. And did he did he travel then? He travelled to Germany. Yeah, he went to Germany, and they've obviously assessed him. But, uh, yeah, they had, they've decided against playing him. Now, whether that's precautionary, whether uh, uh, Yogi Love is being a, a sensible manager, I don't quite know, or the injury could just be too severe for him to, to play. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with this one because, you know, ankle turns can be two, three weeks. Yeah, you'd have to imagine if he was, uh, uh, in, you know, fit or available, they would have wanted him against Scotland. You know, that's a competitive game, hmm. quite a tight game in the end. And they've got a couple of other injuries, Germany. So, yeah, not 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 great indications ahead of the weekend. And I think Ozil's a player who, at the moment, you you don't necessarily want him out there if he's not 100%, to be honest, you know, I think for him to have his maximum impact, he needs to be uh, at the top of his top of his game, conditioning-wise. Mm. It, it, you know, I'm not saying in one way it would solve a problem, but I think we discussed last week that maybe Arsene Wenger's finding it a little bit difficult to fit him and Alexis and, uh, and Santi Cazorla in the team. Yeah. 
to find a system that's working with with those three players. Um, would the arrival of Welbeck perhaps give the team a more obvious focal point? Because we know that uh, Sonogo has been asked to play there, and uh, I think perhaps the, the struggles against Leicester precipitated the move for Welbeck in a way. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, having those three beside him or behind him slightly um, is, is quite a tasty prospect, but how do you achieve a balance in the team with, with three players like that? And then Theo Walcott to come back as well. Well, this is it. I mean, you know, everyone talks about uh, Welbeck being able to play on the left, but I think until Christmas, at least, he's going to be considered pretty much as a, a central striker, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, and Theo Walcott, you'd think, occupies that right flank role. Um and then that that leaves you with kind of you know several several different options. You you know if Welbeck starts, that pushes Alexis out to the left maybe. Hmm. Um, I, I think there'll still be games where Alexis plays through the middle though, even with Welbeck's arrival. Um, I think that you know that is something that Wenger wants to to have as in his arsenal, as it were. You know, yeah. <laughs> have uh, as an option for certain games. So I think that even with Welbeck there. There'll be games where he's on the bench and Alexis starts up top. What about the two of them together? Something that uh, I think Amy Lawrence suggested before deadline day was that if you're having issues with strikers uh, and making it work or scoring goals, that perhaps it's a lot to ask for one man to be the guy who, who's who's got to fill that role. Whereas if you have two, you know, I know the game has changed a little bit in terms of formations, but... Surely there's a way of fitting two strikers into the team. Liverpool seem to be doing it. Yeah, well, actually, I had this as one of the questions. Liam Stewart asked, should we go back to playing two up front? And it's something we talked about quite a lot last season because Wenger did it kind of in emergency circumstances, didn't he? In the FA Cup, Mm. um, in the semi-final and final, throwing on Sonogo to play up top alongside Giroud. But seeing Liverpool do it, you know, quite regularly and quite quite well I do wonder if, if a system like that could work for us you know they play that kind of diamond midfield um, it's very easy to see how you could play with you know Arteta at the base uh, maybe Wilshire or, or, and Ramsey just either side of him and then a Meza Ozil figure in that Sterling role that floating mm. role ahead and then you've got yourself two strikers who can kind of share that goal scoring burden and it strikes me as well that there are forwards who maybe who don't convince fully as out-and-out strikers at Arsenal, but could function well in a two. I'm thinking of someone like Lucas Podolski, maybe, who you'd never put him as a, a central striker in the in the one-up top system. He doesn't seem to have that in his game, but in a two, maybe he could offer more. And maybe the same is true of Alexis or, or Walcott. You know, they would have that physical presence with a, a Welbeck or a Giroud to kind of offer that balance. So that is something I'd I'd be in, interested to see. Mm realistically do I see Wenger going for that I'm, I'm not sure he seems quite wedded doesn't he to at least um that that sole striker at, at present yeah it does yeah but I mean I, it, I think it's trying to find a system that gets the best out of the players that you've got I think if you're completely entrenched in one formation hmm. we, and, and don't consider changing it in order to get more out of the players that you've got, then that's that's un- unhealthy, really. And, it, you know, it strikes me that if he came to the conclusion that a formation change would work, that he could get more out of Ozil and Cazorla and Alexis and uh, Welbeck and Walcott and, you know, whoever, then he'd be, he'd be open to that in a yeah, way. I mean, but- it, 
at present, it does seem like the system is in flux to an extent. You know, I say he's wedded to the one up top, but he seems to be changing the shape of the midfield slightly. So perhaps it's not beyond the, the realms of possibility. Um, I don't think Manchester City next week will be the occasion to try it, if I'm honest. Mm. I, I think that Wenger will look to have quite a sort of, you know, packed midfield against, against City to make sure that we can we can dominate in the middle of the park. I mean, do you think he'll do what um, what he did last season in terms of the formation? Because at home we were all right. But again, this, I mean, 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one very quickly can become 4-1-2-3-1. Four, four, one, one. You know, it's not, it's not that fixed, is it? Mm. In terms of um, in terms of what the players can do, yeah, either with or without the ball, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, on that on that two up top thing, if you say to Arsene Wenger, um, you know, you should have you considered playing with two strikers? His retort would be, "Well, we do play with two strikers. You know, we played with Sonogo and Sanchez." And he'd say he 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 often considers some of those wide forwards mm. to effectively be strikers. You know, when Theo Walcott plays ostensibly as a right winger he plays very close to Giroud and right on the the line of the defence so I think Wenger often considers those wide players as kind of supplementary strikers in a way but it's not a, it's not a front two in the in the traditional sense and certainly not in the sense that you know that we would recognise from from the old days at Arsenal no all right well look we'll uh, we'll see obviously uh, towards the end of the week, what's going to happen with that one? But what we're going to do now is take a short break. We're back and we'll be answering your questions after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra, brought to you this week by Audible, where you can get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook download. They've got all kinds on there, football ones and fiction and drama and Harry Potter or whatever it is you might like. They've got audiobooks uh, for you to try. Audibletrial.com forward slash Arsecast. That's audibletrial.com forward slash Arsecast. Sign up, get yourself a 30-day free trial and an audiobook for your ears. Uh, and it's free. So there you go. And uh, it does help us out here, and we appreciate that. And on that point, uh, the audiobook of Together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season, is coming soon, uh, hopefully within the next uh, five or six days. So stay tuned. I'll announce that on site. Um, time now for the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. James, fire away. Okay. Well, this one uh, we had from quite a few people, but one of those was Karen Venter. Uh, she asked, pretty straightforward, mm. would you start Welbeck against City? Absolutely. Yeah, straight in. Straight in. Even though he's going to be on crutches after tonight's England game. <laughs> um, I think he could use those crutches to trip up Vincent Company. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, you know, we need a striker. He is probably the most suitable player we've got in the central striking role. Um some comments from Yaya Sonogo about how Welbeck is going to have to fight for his place. And I kind of like the the attitude of Sonogo in that regard when he's mm. talking about, you know, people can criticise and that's fine, but the goals will come. And he's obviously confident and has the goals for the under-21s as well. Yeah, the weekend. yeah. Um, so at the moment, though, I think Welbeck has got to go, has got to go straight into the team. Um, actually, on that one, I have a question here which is quite similar. Uh, I'll just get it up. It is from bum, 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 Zach Harris. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And he says, assuming Ozil and Arteta are healthy uh, and fit, how would you line up against City? What would be your team? Ooh, okay. Well, um, so obviously Chesney and goal. Mm. Uh, are we expecting Kieran Gibbs to be back? I don't think we are. I think yeah. maybe in maybe in contention, but I sort of think Monreal's done very well, and I I, I kind of think he'll keep his place. Yeah, um, I agree for the time being. So I'd say Debushi, uh, Mertzaka, Koscielny, hopefully all being well. It's only a cut, so fingers crossed he's all right. And then Nacho Monreal, um, Arteta. See, I'd go back to kind of last season's midfield shape. I'd have Arteta in deep alongside. Aaron Ramsey slightly further ahead and Meza Ozil um Meza Ozil probably in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. Then uh Santi Cazorla drifting in from the left, Alexis Sanchez on the right hand side and Danny Welbeck up top. Yeah. That'll be my 11. What about you? That would be exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. Or you know, I'd nearly be tempted by Oxlade Chamberlain. Nearly, yeah. but I think Cazorla has been playing quite well. Um, and if we're going to move Ozil to the to the middle, then Cazorla's got to play, and he's got to play from the left hand side. So, and we so talked we, about the possibility of no Meza Ozil if if he was outside. Uh, how would that change it for you? Cazorla in the middle, and Oxley Chamberlain on the left hand side. I think that's I think that's what I'd do. So you'd have Oxley Chamberlain in above above Jack Wilshire at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, based on that, that system, based on the system that you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. I would. Um, yeah. I mean, I like Jack, but um, I just think in, in in that kind of a game, I'm not sure that position on the left-hand side would suit him particularly well. Whereas Oxley chamberlain has got that burst of pace and um, he can give us that energy down, down the left-hand side. But you could... Um... You could always put Jack in the middle with that, with Ramsey and, and Arteta and mm. shunt Cazorla out wide again. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, personally, I, I would want to try and get Ozil back in the middle for this game if we can. And I think to do that, you need to give him the sort of robust support of Arteta and, and yeah. Ramsey behind. Um, cool. There you go. All right. Um, this one comes from... Oh, shit. I should have figured out how to pronounce this before I... <laughs> uh, it's Joseph Parastatidis. Okay. Joe underscore Paris. And he says, imagine God made you a superhero for a day and your power is the ability to use the football manager editor on real people. Your power is limited to only three football manager stats for one player. Who do you choose and which stats do you boost? And he gives an example of Jack Wilshire, decisions 20, strength 20, fitness 20. That's a great question. Yeah. Um. Well, the first one, I know that there's a, a stat on Football Manager for composure, so I'd be straight in and uh, fiddling with that on Welbeck, ramping that up high, because he seems to have pretty much everything else in his game. That's what's lacking. So do that, and we've got ourselves a, a potent number nine. Mm. Um, I've got two more. It's like yeah. a ge- he's like a genie, this guy. He says he can use only uh, three stats for one player, but I think one stat for three players is a better question. So. Oh, okay. Sorry, I misunderstood it, but I improved it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> three players. Um, oh, do you know what? Meza Ozil finishing, I think. 
Yeah. I would, because I think as a number 10, you know, I do want to see him playing there in the middle, but I think playing in that position, Gary Neville's got a real bee in his bonnet about this. He says, you know, number 10s get away with not contributing enough goals. Because if you're effectively playing at what used to be called a kind of second striker, you know, back in the, mm. the days of Dennis Burkamp, you really need to be hitting double figures um, in terms of goals scored, I think, to be effectively contributing. And I I kind of agree with that. So as, for all Ozil's amazing technique, put him in front of goal and he can sometimes flounder. Can't... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It seems to be, it must be psychological because there's no technical issue at all. No, that's true. Um, But anyway, his finishing, I would definitely ramp right up. Mm -hmm. And then... I think I would go, ooh, oh, there's a couple in my mind. I'm very tempted by Per Mertesacker's pace. <laughs> Partly because I just think, wouldn't it be wonderful if he was the quickest player on the pitch? <laughs> that would be priceless. What a sight that would be. It'd be like something out of Jurassic Park. <laughs> just tearing around. Um, so I think I'll go for that. Um Murder yeah. Sacker with 20 pace. Yes, I would like that very much. That'd be fucking awesome. Any any obvious ones I've missed that spring to your mind? Well, I think uh, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to be kind, we could we could give Sonogo finishing a 20, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, we could do. Um, maybe, let me think, who else could we do? I mean, you know, if we wanted to be, if we're feeling generous, then... You know, we could give Abu Dhabi's kind of general fitness a big boost, couldn't we? Or- That's right. That's um, right. Um, yeah, Kieran Gibbs, that would be a good one to do, I think. You know, if you could find a way to ramp up Gibbs's stats so that he could stay fit for a whole season, I think we'd have a hell of a player on our hands there. That's true. There could be... Is there a, is there a football manager stat for running around a bit? Because we could put Ozil up to 20 for running around a bit. <laughs> and that would uh, solve any problems people yeah. have with with his game. Mertesacker, I can't get beyond that now. I'm trying to yeah. think of things and that's just the best possible answer to any of them <laughs> it would be nice to see imagine Mertesacker just bursting from the back I like outpacing Theo Walcott into the box exactly yeah extraordinary even with, even with the pace of Lauren Koscielny Lauren Koscielny is very quick man mm. if, you, if you could just you know somehow I don't know we've talked about breeding players before but that would be a, an interesting one yeah if Julio uh, Batista was still at the club is there an overhead kicks stand probably not <laughs> one specifically for that but no that would be a good one yeah, um, yeah fun right. times no doubt people will send us their suggestions on Twitter Feel after listening free. to this Feel All right. free. 
Um, okay, this one comes from uh, Peter Ferguson. And he asks, re-Jack Wilshire, who we touched on before, do you think that Arsene Wenger left him out at Leicester due to his England commitments in the Interlal? And should that be in his consideration? No, I don't think he did. Um, I don't think that would... That really would be a consideration for Arsene Wenger. I suspect he left him out against Leicester because I think Wilshire played in every game, hadn't he? Um, mm. Until then, and we know that he's had some ongoing issues with his fitness and with his ankle, and perhaps the manager saw it as a good time to, to give him a bit of a rest. It wasn't that he was... Um, we were short of options or anything like that. Um, and if, if we complain about players being pushed into the red zone, then the manager's obviously got to man- manage his players in terms of their fitness throughout the throughout the season. And he knows them. You know, it's easy for us to sit and go, well, why didn't he play this game or that game? And, you know, you find out afterwards that a player's been ill or a player's picked up a knock in training and, you know, they're not 100% fit. And only the manager knows that. Mm-hmm. So I think... You know, it's it's difficult sometimes to speculate on why decisions are made, but I wouldn't have thought that was uh, a consideration for him at all. No, I mean, I suppose the only way in which it might have been is that, you know, the fact is Jack Wilshire is an international, so he is going to be busy in this period. If it had been Mikel Arteta, say, a guy who mm. doesn't go away on the international breaks, maybe it would have been less of a less of a concern. But I actually think that if you look at the 11 we put out at Leicester, I'm not sure... Will Sugar would be in it on merit anyway. Mm. Um, and I think that was probably more decisive in Wenger's thinking. All right. Okay. Here's one from Herbie Gunner at Herbie Gunner. And he says, What hope is there that Akpom and such can break through to the first team now that we have money? And I guess mm. the, the signing of Welbeck would be um, an illustration of that, that, that Giroud got injured and the the way we dealt with that was to go out and spend 17 million pounds on a, on a striker, which if we um, look at it is probably the third most expensive signing in our history. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, I I was actually watching some footage of, of Chirac Pom. Um, he scored a hat trick recently. Did he not, did he not at the Emirates stadium in a, yeah. a, a, a youth game? And I was thinking, he, look, he does look like a hell of a player. You know, he's got all the attributes you'd want to see in a young striker. He's very powerful, good on the ball. He can dribble, he can finish, he can head as well. He's got a good headed goal in that game. But uh, it is hard to see how he makes the breakthrough. You know, there's quite the queue ahead of him and, and Welbeck's jumped into that now. It's certainly a far cry from the days when, you know, although they were criticised and eventually left the club, guys like Nicholas Bentner and Carlos Vela were getting opportunities, weren't they? Kind of mm. 18, 18 years of age. To, to play for Arsenal. Um, it's quite hard to envisage that happening now. There needs to be a real injury crisis before Akpom was selected. So I do think it's going to be tough. Um, however, I do think in Arsene Wenger, we've got a manager who, if he sees a unique talent there, will afford it opportunities to shine. You know, he's done that with Serge Gnabry. Um, and I think, you know, if he really believes in Akpom, then... He's shown in the past he'll be ruthless and sell players higher up the pecking order in order to give that youth a, a chance. Um, mm. I mean, is it is it a positive thing? I mean, if it's more difficult for a young player to make the breakthrough at Arsenal now, which I think it probably is, 
when you look at, like you said, seven or eight years ago, when when the project um, was to try and build a team of young players together, and we know it didn't really work um, as as admirable as that was in the circumstances. Is it not a positive thing now that, okay, if a player doesn't make it, then he's going to have the Arsenal education. And if he works hard and applies himself and has a measure of talent, then he's likely to go on and have a good career at a different club, whether that's Premier League or elsewhere. But if a player is good enough to make it, then that is going to be some player. It really is, yeah. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this recently because obviously with United selling Welbeck, it's prompted a kind of examination of of their youth system and yeah. how how are their youth products going to going to come through now they're spending such exorbitant sums on, on players. Um, I think the only problem is, you know, is one of getting first team football. You know, can Akpom can he develop to the necessary level to play for Arsenal without getting any games? And the obvious solution to that is is loan spells. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that he's, he's yet to get one. Perhaps they're going to wait and see, give him the Capital Cup, uh, Cup game and maybe make a decision after that. But I think yeah. that that's absolutely crucial to development is regular regular football at a good level. Uh, and I think that's what the future holds for these players, guys like Akpom, guys like Bellerin. You know, they need to get games under their belt if they're going mm. to make it. Because there does come a point, doesn't there, where a player is, you know, uh, stagnated. If you look at somebody like Thomas Eisfeld, for example, who did really quite well at, at under-21 level and at reserve level and, and looked looked a good player, but still looked a, a good way short of what was necessary for the Arsenal first team. Mm. Um, and in order then to progress, had to leave. So, Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. I think you're right about the Capital One Cup. He'll keep some of those players as long as we're in the Capital One Cup because it does give him a chance to to see them in proper action rather than, you know, a little cameo as a substitute in a game that's won or that we're trying to save. Um, So I think while he's got that opportunity to use those players, he'll keep them on the club. But then there's got to be a, a, a procedure for loaning them out so that they can develop. Yeah, so. and and I think... You know, Arsenal have enjoyed relationships with clubs in the past where they've they've sent players and, you know, they've, they've done well. Arsenal Mega has affiliations with certain managers and I think we should look to, to, you know, use that properly and make sure these guys get football under their belt. Because the problem with the Capital One Cup is, you know, we can all say we'd love to see Akpon play, but the way it's looking, Yaya Sonogo is going to be looking for a game in that match. Joel Campbell's going to be looking for a game in that match. Mm. And there'll be others too. I mean, Thomas Rosicki has barely figured this season, you know, so there's going to be plenty of competition even for those for those domestic cup games. All right, okay. Another question from you. Another question. Okay, this one comes from uh, DC86 Guna, and he asks, it's time to put your prediction hat on, mm-hmm. who do you think will be our top goal scorer this season? Difficult one, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, tough to call. Yeah, I will go for Alexis. Hmm. Okay. Well, he's, he's had a good start. He's had a good start. I think he's going to be playing the majority of our games, given the yeah. profile of his signing and his quality. Um, you know, we, we know that he's going to be probably played down the middle at times, but also out wide. He's shown, even in the game against Leicester, that he's capable of the scrappy goal. 
Which yeah, is, I, li- I liked that goal, I have to say. It was, dare I say it, it was Perez-esque. It was yeah, that kind it, of... It reminded me of the FA Cup final goal against Southampton, uh-huh. was it? Just that kind of snappy, you know, finish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm okay. going to go Alexis. Okay, I am going to go... I think I'm going to go, despite his injury at the start of the season, Theo Walcott. Um, you know, when fit in the last couple of years, he's been pretty prolific. I think he mm. hit 20 goals a couple of seasons back. And I think if he can stay fit, I know it's a considerable if, um, whether he plays on the right or through the middle, I think it'll probably be the right. I expect him to score plenty of goals. And uh, I think, yeah, he might come out on top. But it's a hard one to call, isn't it? With Giroud out for as long as he is. Yeah. Someone's got to step forward, really. But I think it'll be... I don't think we'll end up in a situation whereby we've got one guy on 30 goals and the rest trailing behind. I think it'll be a fairly even spread but between the likes of Alexis, Walcott, hopefully Welbeck as well, and, and, and Giroud when he comes back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there isn't the obvious candidate in this team, whereas, you know, there used to be. Um, whether that's a, a good thing... Or a bad thing, um, I guess, depends on your your perspective. Whether you think a team needs a thirty goal striker, or whether it's more healthy to spread the goals. You always sense that Wenger prefers a collective, you know, spirit, doesn't he? He always talks about when he sold Thierry Henry. He, he talks about the need for the team to share the responsibility. Mm. And I always feel like he's more comfortable with that. He doesn't like to be too reliant on... Didn't exactly work, though, did it? Because, you know, when we had Thierry Henry, we won a lot of stuff. And then, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm not saying it was all down to Thierry, but he played a small part. Well, the thing is, I think if you've got an exceptional striker, obviously, it does help enormously. And, yeah, it's hard to know if that's something he really believes or just a way of of publicly managing a situation. We'd all like... Someone stepped forward and scored thirty goals, but I'm not sure. Not sure. I mean, hopefully, someone can surprise us and exceed our expectations. All right, here's a question from Mark Blundell at Mark Blundell thirty four, and he says, "What is behind Wenger's pursuit of a British core? What competitive advantage does he see in it?" Mm. Really interesting because I, you know, it's it's a it's a big change, isn't it? Yeah. If you think back a decade or so. Um, Arsenal were, were criticised by very many people for not having that kind of British contingent in the squad and uh, you know it was labelled as a kind of prejudice that Arsene Wenger held I think in part that that may have been the case and partly the technical level of British players has uh, has increased but I think predominantly it's all to do with the fact that we we had all these promising young players, the likes of Fabregas and Nasri, things like that, uh, and they up sticks. They didn't have that kind, you know. Uh, Fabregas wanted to go home, you know, and that was, I think, a big factor in Wenger's thinking. He wanted people who were committed to the club in the long term, uh, and I think a British contingent does help with that. Do, is that somehow down to the natural? Okay, the money in the Premier League is a thing, but uh, English players, as a rule, um, you know, don't really get into the whole um, lifestyle change in the way that foreign players do, right? So if a young guy comes from Spain or France, comes to England, it's like, well, okay, this is new, I play for this club for a while, and it doesn't really make any difference to them to go and play for a different club, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um but maybe with an English core, 
that they they have an association, uh, feel more grounded, more settled, like the club is more home to them and makes it more difficult for them to leave? Maybe. I mean, yeah. Uh, they, I f- maybe they get it more. I mm. don't know. Um, to be a bit reductive about it, I, I think... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, the other thing to say is that Manchester United for such a long time had enormous success in, in England with a British court. And also, if you think about, uh, you know, Arsene Wenger's first successful team at Arsenal, that had a very strong, you know, English group as well in, in terms of the back four. Um, you know, without, as did Chelsea when they yeah. were winning things. Yeah. Do you think there is a competitive edge at all? Do you think there is something that helps about having... Do you think having British players helps on, on the pitch? I think it, it's more to do with the quality of the players, isn't it? But maybe there is an inherent understanding of the league or connection with the fans or what it might mean. I don't, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to how good your players are, whether they're from England or Mars or wherever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess there has to be... There's a lot to be said for teams unity in terms of their how they interact with each other how they will um fight for each other if they're friendly um i mean we've had some players down the years who've been excellent players but who haven't been the most popular in the dressing room Mm -hmm. and that probably does have an effect um whether it's conscious or subconscious you know, there's been players that just haven't been popular or haven't integrated into the group, but have been automatic first-team players. And, yeah, maybe that's what it is, you know, to try and recreate perhaps what he had with that uh, with the Invincible team, who were uh, tremendous footballers, obviously, first and foremost. But uh, he put together a, a, a group and a team that really worked for each other and fought for each other. And there weren't the same issues in terms of, um, clashes of personality or, or people who who thought they were more than anyone else in that group. So maybe that's what it is. I think that we'll camaraderie see. is a, a big, big factor in it. Yeah. I, I mean, as a fan, do you care? Like, as an, as an Irishman, do you... Does it do anything for you? Does it? How does it make you feel to see a, a, a sort of strong British? Because, you know, I, I'm from England and I have to say, I, I quite like it. It sort of improves my sense of affinity with, mm. with the players. Um, yeah, well, look... Even, I, even just the language thing, I think, is a, a thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, I was born in London, so um, I, I get it from that point of view. I think it's a good idea. You know, if you're an English club, then I think it's good that there's um, English players at the club, and particularly English players that have grown up at the club as well, mm. because there is always that element of of knowing the history of a place and a history of the club and how it operates. And, you know, with people like Pat Rice, who down the years would remind young players, you know, what they, what they were doing wearing an Arsenal shirt and what they represented. And that's passed on through Steve Bold. And, you know, those traditions are important. I think it's good. I, I like it. Um, but again, you know, if you were to get me 11 players who were absolutely brilliant and didn't come from England, uh, you know, I wouldn't really have any problem with that either. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a healthy enough situation as long as the players are good enough. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you know Per Mertesacker's not English it doesn't seem to affect his connection with the club or his understanding of the culture. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But I, I do think that <clears throat> that camaraderie is hugely important, and I think building that that base makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I, 
hopefully it can bring us some success. All right, one more from you? One more. Okay, this comes from Josh Hunt, and he asks, I assume this is in the light of some, some comments you made on your blog, Uh-oh. would you <laughs> would you rather spoon with Robert <laughs> Perez, Thierry Henry, or Olivier Giroud? Oh, come on. That's an easy question to answer. Everyone knows the answer to that question, right? Robert Perez? Of course. Man. No, no contention. No, Absolutely not. A man as handsome as Olivier Giroud. Do you think Robert Perez is more handsome than Olivier Giroud? Yeah, and he's getting handsomer. Have you seen uh, his beard recently? Is he doing that sort of George Clooney thing? He's ageing very well. Yeah, yeah, he is. I haven't seen his beard. He's got a beard now. Yeah, it's a kind of... Yeah, it's thick and lustrous and very handsome. He he rocks a beard, I have to say. I'm always quite... Just, I'm, I'm pretty hairy myself, but my beard is, is untidy. Right. You know, it's not one of those, if I let it grow, it would be all perfectly sculpted and shaped and all the hairs the right length. It would just look like somebody had put an electric charge to a, a slightly graying bear. And <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the way it turns out. But no, Perez just seems, now he's got it. So that'd, that'd be it for me. What about you? Uh, I'm if you than- had to, of course, you know, given that it's the, the Rainbow Laces campaign and... Of course, yeah, I'd, I'd jump at the chance. I think um, I'm more of a Thierry Henry man, if I'm honest. Uh, I don't know. something. It's, it's that smile. He's got that winning smile. That's what it is. Yeah, of course. Smile. I've got one more question, but before I get there, um, one we had one here from uh, PJ Bish, mm. who asked, when Bonnie Tyler sang, we don't need another hero, I think she was wrong. Do you think Arsene agrees with her? And I was going to answer this question, but Bonnie Tyler didn't sing... We don't need another hero. Bonnie Tyler sang that she was holding out for a hero, and it was Tina Turner who sang We Don't Need Another Hero. Come so on, guys. I think you need another hero, Bish. Yeah. Basically. So here's my last question. This came in a few weeks ago by email, and I've been meaning to get to it since. It comes from Del Dillingham. Okay. Who sounds like a Simpsons character, but yeah. uh, that's his that's his name. Right. And he said Henny Youngman once said, when I read about the evils of drinking, I gave up reading. Which would you and James rather give up, reading or drinking? Ooh. He says, I realize this is probably a little too highbrow, um, but hey, <laughs> uh, I'd be interested to know. So what, what, are you, what would you give up, reading or drinking? And when we say reading, are we saying all reading? So I assume so. Or maybe it's just books. I don't know. Because if, was, if you were to give up reading and not drinking, how would you know what, what you, you were drinking? drinking? This is what I was thinking. The labels would be an issue. Mm. Um, although, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I I look too deeply into what I drink. Um, if, if, if the, if the colour seems appropriate, although that is a risky strategy, <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can tell you. Is that, uh, is that lilt or something else? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm not... I'm not <sighs> Do you know what? I would really miss... I think I could manage without novels. I, I, you know, I love books, but I think I could fill that void with, with cinema or theatre or some, some other thing. But I would miss, you know all the, the day-to-day stuff, newspapers, things like that, blogs. I love being able to consume, you know, information. Mm. Um, 
yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with reading. It's a, it was a difficult one, but I'm sticking with reading. You're staying with reading, yeah. Yeah. Are you gonna make the same call? Yeah. What would you do all day? Because I mean, you'd never be able to. See, okay, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to go with reading too. Now, I, I like a, a drink, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's a nice leisurely pastime. You know, you can have a good time or a really good time or sometimes a bad time. But sometimes you know, a bad time. Sometimes. Yeah. But I think I would be more flummoxed without having anything to read. Because mm. imagine even if you were sitting there eating breakfast in the morning and you can't read the back of the cereal box. Like you did when you were a kid, remember? Of course. The box of Frosties or Cocoa Pops there, and you're reading the back of it, and you've read it five times, six times, but you still read it. <laughs> what do you do when you go to the bathroom? You Great know. question. Um, Great question. So I would, I would give up drinking, but I would plant an opium field, right, in my garden. Just you know, just to relieve the the stress of the day. Well, that's true. There are other ways to to unwind. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. There we go. Problem solved. solved. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Okay. Well, look, that's it for um, that's it for the Arsecast extra for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss what happened at the weekend against champions Manchester City. The Arsecast will be here on Friday. We'll talk to you then. Bye bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.